everybody. Another week has gone by. Uh, this is Greg Sims, the co-host of the Porter County Buzz at 103.1 FM. And uh, I am steering, I'm looking at an empty chair here, literally looking at an empty chair, uh, because uh, Adam Bozak has decided to play hooky today. He decided that his son's uh, baseball team is more important than, uh, than coming on the radio, which of course I agree with. Family is, is very important. So uh, Andy, you'll be missed and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you next week and uh, teach those kids how to catch a ground ball. But uh, our very special guest is is Kyle Kubler. Woo, I got it right. Okay. <laughs> He's from the, the director of the Porter County Airport, which is uh, a gem we have in Porter County that a lot of people do not know about. So uh, without further ado, Kyle, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being here. And I still say we as Andy's sitting here. Um, he's with us in the spirit. That's right. Uh, but Kyle, tell us tell us what you do and, and all that stuff. Well, for the most part, my uh, position is airport director at the airport, and that is really dealing with all the day-to-day -day operation of the airport. And the way it is with general aviation airports, it's a position of many hats. It isn't just the administration of the airport, it's the coordination for emergency operations, it's the grant writing, it's the coordination with both the FAA on the federal side and INDOT on the state side with the Department of Transportation in the planning of the airport and the development of the airport. So it's really all-encompassing. Wow, okay. And, and, and so who uses the airport? I mean... Uh... You'd, be, you'd be surprised. General aviation is defined as all aviation operations that aren't military or air carrier. And we're lucky to have a 7,000-foot environment. So even with that definition of general aviation, because of that runway length that we have and the type of airport we have, we still see some limited air carrier operations at the airport. And from time to time, we'll see military operations. Oh. So that, that keeps us kind of in a different standing as to most GA airports, again, because of that infrastructure and that runway length. Okay, so what would be a reason for like a military aircraft to to come to the county? Well, or can you can you divulge that or you know? <laughs> over over the time that I've been here, we've had uh, actually fighter aircraft land for fuel, F-18s oh. land for fuel, in direct support of the government when uh, Clinton was making a whistle stop tour and actually had a stop, I believe, in Michigan City, Indiana, at that point in time. Uh, our airport supported uh, White House communications with uh, a C-130 Hercules aircraft that was there in advance of all those stops, making sure the president at that time had, you know, his necessary communications at all the different um, stops that they were doing. And then in addition to that, in both uh, 2012 and 2014, uh, the airport was able to support then Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, with a total of five operations, three in 2012 and two in 2014, with the last operation, um, him going on business down back to, I believe it was St. Louis, and actually using Air Force Two, which was that day the 757. Anytime the president is on an aircraft, it's Air Force One, and anytime yeah. they're on the, uh, the vice president on, it's Air Force Two. In four of the five operations that we had with Biden, he flew in what I'll describe as corporate configured aircraft, the, the type of airplanes that use the airport all the time. But on that last departure in 14, uh, the 757 became the largest aircraft to ever use the airport. And that's bigger than a C-130 transport? Yes. Wow. Much bigger. 
I'll be darned. So that's that's kind of impressive. So we've had political royalty in our midst. Landing at the airport. When you talk about <laughs> in office and also um, when you talk about the secretaries mm -hmm. of the cabinet, uh, chief justices have flown in and out of our airport. So yeah, and then also candidates from time to time. Oh, okay. So now when when, when the president, when, when, when Joe Biden, you said went to St. Louis, he flew to our airport and then he flew down to St. Louis or did he drive? How did that work? Well, in, in 2012, there was actually three operations. Uh, he flew in, and the reason he flew in, his son had a property in Long Beach, and he was vacationing at that point in time. So they flew into our airport on the corporate configured aircraft. It was actually a Gulfstream, an airplane that uses our, our runway environment all the time. Those are relatively small, right? Well, they're, they're, they're larger corporate aircraft. It's, it's a fairly large airplane, but it's not an air carrier sized aircraft. Okay. But uh, after his first arrival, he went to, if I remember, Detroit to do a speech but he, did he drive there? No, he flew, oh, okay. he flew that airplane out to Detroit, and then he came back from Detroit, and then uh, following that, he had some speaking engagement in Chicago, which they did drive. Oh, wow. And then in 14, again, we got that uh, Gulfstream aircraft coming in, and then the hmm. 757 for departure uh, to St. Louis. Wow, that's still pretty cool. It is cool. <laughs> and, and it, was, it was kind of a neat story if, if we had time to mention it, but... Yeah. Um, when I got a phone call from the Air Force in 2012, it was a colonel who was calling from Andrews, and he asked, um, Kyle, can your airport support a Gulfstream? I said, sir, it's our bread and butter, <laughs> that's what we were designed for. Yeah. About two minutes later, I get the call back from the same colonel, and he goes, what about a 757? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, the runway can support it, but we don't really have the ground support equipment because the air carrier uh, ground support equipment has different fittings and oh okay and like like the ladders to get off the plane you mean exactly. kind of thing okay all, all that yeah. is necessary for the larger aircraft yeah and he goes well what if we brought those and then i said well <laughs> we might be able to handle it and ultimately you know we were the airport selected for those wow. operations so they brought in a separate aircraft with the ladders on it or did they rent it somewhere how did that work they actually brought in what it seemed like two of everything from all over the, the country. Um, two belt loaders, two lab carts, two potable water, and it was all under that strict security that the president, vice president normally get. Yeah. And it's something that our airport had never had occur before. So from our first point of contact in 2012, on what I believe was a Monday, mm -hmm. we had to go through all the normal vetting that you would. Wow in four days before we received the vice president on that Friday. Now, was there anyone that you were told, um, hey, uh, you know, Bill over there uh, can't be here on that day because there's something about his past or did they, anything like that happen? You know, the, the odd thing about it, uh, all of the vice presidential operations that we had all fell within our busiest time. <laughs> right in the middle of the Oshkosh traffic, our airport gets a lot of the migrating traffic to the International yeah. Air Show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, both <laughs> both of those operations fell right within Oshkosh week, but the Secret Service was very amenable and they worked with us and 
you know, they moved the vice president very quickly off the airport. Wow. And we were able to get back to normal operations. Were you able to get any pictures? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I was out working, but if you look around, <laughs> my staff, uh, yeah. Vice President Biden at the time uh, with his son, Bo, spent 10 or 15 minutes with my staff in the terminal building and just talked with them. And, and okay. I thought that was very, very nice for them to take that time to do that. And again, I was out doing things <laughs> yeah. related with the Secret Service at the time, but yeah, they did spend uh, wow. a lot of time with the staff and they appreciated that. That's cool. That's It's always nice that, that somebody of that stature still treats people in a very respectful, normal, you know, how you doing, kind of like a guy next door kind of a thing. Yeah. I would think, and it, and it doesn't matter who they are. It's always, I always very much appreciate hearing those kind of stories that, you know, yeah, it, it, it's nice to hear. Very it, nice to hear. It was a lot of work, but it's kind of feather in the cap for the airport, and mm -hmm. uh, we were proud of that. Now, do ever any celebrity, like besides a, a vice president, any other celebrities come and grace our, our county? Back in the day. Lady Gaga? Well, that, <laughs> not, that, not that day. But, but back in the day uh, when we had the Star Plaza Theater, oh, yeah. many of the entertainers came through uh, to perform there through the airport. Really? Uh, huh. Kenny Rogers, Mickey Gilley, wow. uh, Roy Clark, uh, Danny Williams. I'm, I'm Kenny Willie, or Kenny Rogers is about the only one I remember. But Hank Williams, uh, a number. Okay, so now when they come in, do they let you guys know ahead of time, or do they just show up and? We often have coordination. Okay. Uh, for that, but uh, you know, often their their bands and that will bus to a location. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I ain't sitting on a bus. I'm flying in. <laughs> but a, a lot of the entertainers at that time, where the Star Plaza was at its heyday. Uh, oh, okay. A lot of the entertainers flew through. Anybody from the Porter County Fair ever come in? Those guys? Yes. You know, they do too? Yeah. Oh, you're smiling. <laughs> I, just, I wish you could see him right now. He is beaming from ear to ear. There must be a story there. Well, it, it, it's just the fact that the, the fair is a very, very busy time for mm -hmm. us, as well as, you know, Oshkosh again falls yeah. during the fair week. <laughs> so we have, we have all that Oshkosh traffic that yeah. only uses the airport for the to and from the International Air Show. And then the fair activity and in our normal day-to-day -day operations we are a very very busy airport uh, people wouldn't believe probably that their airport here in porter county is number one in the state for based aircraft wow and number three in the state for estimated operations an operation being either a takeoff or a landing so hmm. yeah we we stay quite busy on the norm yeah in addition to the special <laughs> activities that go along with that so do you remember, I mean, off top of your head, who the like, is there such a thing as the biggest star to come in from the county fair? Well, I mean, we've had, and I'm, I'm going to be probably terrible coming up with Yeah, names. put you on a spot here, yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. My, my country performers. <laughs> the young lady who's the ventriloquist. Oh, the really young girl. She yes. was like 14 years old or yes. 13. She flew in, huh? Yeah, she flew in. Wow. Um, Toby Keith has flown in. Yeah, because he couldn't drive. The guy was so drunk when he was here. Like when he, <laughs> now he must accept because the day he was here, that was a massive, massive storm. That that's what the remembrance of that is for us. Yeah, uh, is I don't think he got all of his show in because they had correct storms. And yeah, you know, I'm on the volunteer fire department in Couts, and we often do our duty on different days At of the, the fair. Gotcha. And yeah. 
one thing I can probably say is uh, the county fair is very much like Oshkosh. You're not going to get out of that week without having one nasty <laughs> storm. And, and I remember that that night. Yeah. That was a nasty storm. Did he fly out that night too? Yes. Yes. Wow. Because the, the thunderstorm activity actually moved through very, very gotcha. quickly. Okay. And, and was able to leave safely, but just the fact it wasn't good for the attendance at the, at the fair. No, and I was there. Well, see, I'm I'm one of the ushers there, and now I'm the head usher there. But yes, so I was I was right in the middle of all that. I had a wait till everyone got out and i was one of the last ones to leave but yeah what a mess that was you're you're right it seems like every year there's at least one nasty rainstorm that kind of kind of hits us it's just you hope it's not during the concerts you know let it be during the some other of the activities throughout the week but and there's been many more but i'm getting to that age where if i don't write it down i, I can't remember well you're you must be younger than i because mine's been gone for years um that is just so cool, though, about the uh, the people coming in. Um, now, let me ask you this: Go back to the uh, the fighter jets that came in. Uh, when the captains come in and then they land their aircraft, I imagine they're really awesome people, and they come out. Do they or do they just fuel and go? Well, in, in the ones that we had here, I think we had local people that were making cross countries for the most part. Oh, okay. And, and actually landed for fuel and, and, and maybe got to, to see family or go back to do a talk oh. at their school. Okay. So okay. things like that. And, and us getting the, the fighter jets isn't that frequent. Okay. Unless we're having an air show or a static display that brings them in. But we, we have supported them. Mostly our. Uh, support of the military is in the transports, like the C-130. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I imagine they land a fighter jet. They probably have high security to make sure no one goes near it, right? I mean, that's that's some pretty heady stuff. We, we have pretty good security, you know, yeah. during those times at the airport where we keep an eye not only on that type of aircraft, gotcha. but all aircraft. Okay. So that's, yeah, so no one just wanders on. There, There's always something, yeah. So we can't see somebody wandering on the middle of a landing zone or something. Yeah, or, okay. Or, or we get to be introduced, yes. Gotcha. <laughs> Which is a really good thing, you know, that, that, that says, again, something uh, about our, the quality and the care of our, our, our airport. Excellent. Um, so what, uh, did you, what is the strangest thing that ever happened there? Is there such a thing? Yeah, you know, we, we try to keep strange out of the airport. Um, you know, really nothing nothing comes to mind from an operational standpoint. Um, it's our airport being number one for based aircraft, being mm -hmm. number three in operations. One of those reasons is we have three flight schools on the field. We're actually home oh. to three flight schools, three maintenance facilities, and two charter operators. And, and those operators, we call them... FBOs, fixed-based operators, and historically our airport has always been one where the county has maintained the terminal services, if you want to call it that. We mm -hmm. do the fueling of the aircraft, we do the overnights, the ramp space and that, but we have the fixed-based operators on the field that will do um, the flight training and the charter and the maintenance required on the aircraft, not only based at our airport, that will also fly in to have mm -hmm. maintenance accomplished. And, you know, there's always a learning curve associated with learning how to do anything and learning how to fly is no exception. Yeah. So, you know, some of, some of those things probably come to mind, you know, the students first solo and, and, and oh, okay. things that we go through like that and the families that come out to, to watch that. And it, we really do a lot of flight training. Um, 
Number one in the state for operations is Indianapolis International. Oh, okay. Number two in the state for operations uh, is Purdue University, largely because they have an aviation program and they have a big student base there. Okay. We're number three, and and I'm paralleling that to you know Purdue because of the three flight schools that we have on the field gotcha. and the type of flight training that we're doing. And number four is uh, Terre Haute, which has Indiana State University, which okay. has another aviation program and a lot of student activity. So yeah, we, we get to have the families come out and, and be able to, to really see the pride that they have when they're mm-hmm. kids that it could be as young as 16 and soloing an airplane. That's the, the is that the youngest by law, 16 years old? For, for powered aircraft, yeah. They can take their flight training and all that. And, and often if they have a, a, a student who's maybe the son or daughter of a pilot, Oh, they've already had some training. So on their 16th birthday, wow. that'll be the day they solo. Wow. Yeah. Now, how many hours does it take to, okay, somebody is listening here and they're going, wow, maybe I'd like to be a pilot. How many hours from like, well, I don't know how to work. It, it, it goes by hours, right? It doesn't go by days. So if someone were to say, I'd like to sign up, let's say tomorrow, how long would it take realistically for them to become the pilot? Now, I know depending on how many hours they fly, right? But is there usually like, well, usually you can get it done in three years or two years or? And, and, and really in the three flight schools that we have on the airport, two of them are FAA part 141 flight schools. The third is an FAA part 61 flight school. You realize you just spoke Spanish there, right? Well, you know, <laughs> It makes us sound smart if we use these numbers and different acronyms. But the Part 61 is is kind of the normal flight realm to learn how to fly. And to answer your question directly, the minimum requirements to get your private license, Mm -hmm. the private license allows you to fly passengers uh, not for compensation or hire. Oh, okay. It's 20 hours of solo, 20 hours of dual where you're flying with an instructor. Okay. So a minimum of 40 hours. Oh. If you haven't flown with a family member, it, uh-huh. usually the average is anywhere from 40 to 60 hours to get your private license okay. under that part one, or part 61 uh-huh. regime. If you're wanting to be a professional pilot, uh, what you're going to want to do, because they have a hierarchy to all your ratings. You okay. get your private first, your instrument next, your commercial next, your multi-engine, your instructor yeah. ratings, and things like that. Holy moly, okay. You can go to a part 141 school which has a pre-approved syllabus from the FAA and kind of more phase checks along your progress of learning. So the part 141 school allows you to get your license with less flight time Oh, because you're being much more scrutinized as I far gotcha. as that and you're putting a lot of flying together. Okay. You know, if, if you're doing it under the Part 61 realm, you probably want to fly at least an hour a week just mm-hmm. to maintain what you've learned. Okay. And, and that's the that's the realm that I learned and, and achieved my license through. And and then luckily there was a guy at the airport when I was a very young person who thought that anybody wanted to fly more, there was always work to be done. So I was able to work for minimum wage, which I think was three dollars an hour at the time. <laughs> Eight hours equaled one hour of flying. And that oh. was the best trade I think I ever made. Wow. I, I used to work all day, yeah. come out to the airport at night and do oil changes, clean airplanes for yeah. a minimum wage. And when I got eight hours on the clock, 
that turned yeah. into a, an hour of flight time. Wow. Yeah. So it, it depends on how you how you take your training gotcha. through the 141 or the Part 61. And the other thing I should mention probably about the flight schools right now is really the aviation industry is going through a lot of change. Uh, everybody's heard about drone activities and mm -hmm. how Amazon and UPS want to deliver packages right. you know, at your home and this is up and coming. Uh, for that, uh, it's still probably a few years out before it's prevalent, but it's working that way. But the military is finding the same thing. They're training more unmanned vehicle pilots now than they are regular aircraft pilots. And they're actually, the military is starting to pay pretty big bonuses to keep those pilots in place so they don't have to retrain new pilots and spend all that money. So gotcha. we're seeing less attrition from the military into the airlines, which is creating a very, very massive pilot shortage. Wow. So your university environments mm -hmm. like Purdue and ISU and Vincennes here in Indiana, and I think a fourth now, uh, Indiana Wesleyan University's got an aviation program. Those universities that have aviation programs are going to start picking up that burden of training pilots just as well as airports like ours that have those flight schools. Okay. And, and that's going to be the new mechanism for, for getting pilots into the airlines and de dealing with that pilot shortage. Mm -hmm. And in aviation, with, with all this new technology with the drones and, and the, the concept of what they call um, advanced air mobility, you're seeing big segments of jobs opening up in aviation and you know we have that shortage for pilots now mm -hmm. we have shortages for mechanics we have shortages for wow. administration of airports oh, no kidding. like we're in right now um, so our universities are going to help fulfill that our general aviation airports are going to help fulfill that but we have these other segments of aviation that are going to be taking that workforce also wow so it's exciting times in aviation Wow. Now, now, do you guys, uh, you don't have any drones there. Do, I mean, or is there going to be a time where people are going to start storing drones at the airport? You know, when we talk about unmanned uh, vehicle operations, mm -hmm. it could be something as small as the recreational drones that you have. Some, some of that may be the delivery systems that you've seen being in the test mode with uh, Amazon and UPS. Now, how big are those? Are those like the size of a car or they're, are they smaller? That, no, they're not that oh, big. Okay. But, you know, airports would still be required for anything that requires a ground run for takeoff and landing. So the military type drones that you see right now yeah. can actually operate off airfields, whether they be paved or grass. Oh, okay. Because they require a, a, like a runway. run. Mm -hmm. for either uh, takeoff or landing phase, where the advanced air mobility, which is a, a brand new and upcoming segment of aviation, is, is more of the futuristic vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Uh, there are actually manufacturers, two of which are on the top of my mind right now, uh, Joby and, uh, uh, what's the other one? Lilium, uh, where they're actually in certification programs right now with the FAA and there is talk that there will be the start of passenger service for these vertical takeoff <laughs> uh, vehicles wow. by 2024. So we're, we're really not that far away from that and, and that is really the segment of, you know, for, for years and years since the invention of powered flight in 1903, you know, there, there's been this Jules Verne view, if you want to call it that, that everyone will have an aircraft 
at their home. Gotcha. And you know, when we get to VTOL, mm-hmm. where you don't really need that ground run area, and, and we get by the limitations of battery power and the charge that they can hold, yeah. or, or maybe you know, getting fuel cells that burn hydrogen and uh, exhaust water, and that oh, okay. allows you to generate the power to give these vehicles more endurance, we're not that far away. Wow. So the Jetsons are actually a reality. Well, you know, everybody puts it to the Jetsons, and I, I, always, I always try to stay away from that because that was space and futuristic. Yeah. Since 1903, people yeah. have built flying cars to try to get to that point. Okay. That flying car still requires that area for, for takeoff and landing. And, and when you see what happened from the advancement of a powered flight in 1903 to the breaking of the sound barrier in 47 mm-hmm. to you know a little bit more than 20 years later, man on the moon, we're at a, a completely new threshold wow. with this advanced okay. air mobility. And where you'll see these operate from, yes, they'll be at airports because airports are already aeronautical you know um, opportunities for them to land at. But you're going to see them more at uh, adjacent to bus depots and maybe train oh, depots wow. okay. and maybe on top of a, a parking garage that's going to allow you urban access yeah. right to that. And, <laughs> and maybe in that first step, you know, rather than taking the bus to O'Hare, you're yeah. going to come to downtown Valparaiso, <laughs> get on one of these vehicles, which will take you to O'Hare. But via air, yeah, yeah, yeah air. fly there. Right. And without being in an actual airplane or a helicopter. And the wow. proliferation of design and testing is, is so immense right now, the FAA is even having a hard time keeping up with it. So, it, you know, everything is happening almost on a daily basis. The, the FAA just came out with an engineering brief uh, within the last two or three weeks that is just going to start to address what they call B ports. We know what airports are, mm-hmm. we know what heliports are. The V ports are going to be the design requirements and really a performance design requirement based on the vehicles that would be using that V port. And, and they're going to be located in urban areas. Now, can you see a day where people actually commute to work in, in the, like you live in Couts, going from Couts to the Porter County Airport in one of these devices? That, that's why I say from the Jules Verne outlook, I mean, that was in someone's mind. <laughs> when powered flight was initiated and we're we're that close if if so much happened in 66 years from the advancement of powered flight with the technology we have right now and and like i say you can't keep up following the different companies the major investment not only from a from a vehicle standpoint but also a lobbying standpoint oh wow to get regulation in place to do that there is a massive tide, you know, wow. going to be pushing this new technology out, and, yeah. and it it may be very, very quickly upon us that that sort of concept will be realized. The reality, God, that's crazy. That's because again, growing up, you know, we always thought. I remember my my oldest brother uh, in 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 the late '60s. He said, you know, when you get your license, you will be, you know flying like the Jetsons. Everything was like Jetsons. And of course here it's been <clears throat> 50 something years later and we still don't have that. But now it sounds like there is some form of air commuter travel that will be within a very, very short period of time. 
And that's crazy. I mean, it really is crazy. (laughs) As a pilot, I hate the word autonomous Mm -hmm. because, you know, I just love to fly. And I know all pilots love to fly. And I can't really see a time where an untrained individual just gets into a vehicle, (laughs) pushes a button, and just relies on that. You know, I can take a nap, and go to work, and fly there. You know, but we're considering that for the highway right now. Right, and, with those, and, and yeah. Really, it's not going to be that far down the road, God. I think, for aviation. There'll be a, 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 a massive learning and trust curve for the, the passengers yeah. who choose to do that. I mean, it's going to have to be well-tested. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I just I can't see aviation being without a pilot behind flight controls. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's probably going to happen. <laughs> or the, well, or you take a regular airplane and computerize it and you become the passenger in that airplane thing instead of this newfangled contraption. I mean, well, I guess you already have autopilot, right? So, I mean, that's already existed for many years. We, we have autopilot and, you know, back in the day, you used to learn how to fly what we called stick and rudder. Okay. And you put in the inputs for the aircraft. The, the airplane talks to you. It really does. It, it makes airframe noise. It makes engine noise. So the pilot is there feeling that as he controls it, hearing different things. And it really gives them cues as to what the aircraft's doing Okay. just by what they're feeling and what they're hearing. And as we transition into all the new technology, it's all fly-by-wire. So really, moving your stick left mm-hmm. isn't activating an aileron system that is banking the plane to the left. <laughs> now it's a computer saying the pilot wants to go left. So what uh-huh. are the best flight controls oh my to turn the aircraft? And what's going to happen as all this technology comes into the cockpit, and a lot of it is there now with all the glass moving from the analog gauges to all the EFIS, the electronic flight control systems. Okay. You're, you're getting more to be a maybe systems operator than you are a pilot. Gotcha. You, wow. You still got to know how to fly, and yeah. you're, you're really moving systems, and you have all these systems helping you watch what the aircraft is doing. And probably what's going to happen in the future as that continues, instead of having a two-pilot airliner, you may only have a one-pilot. Wow. But what if the guy gets sick or the girl, female gets sick? Well, the, the airplane is there able to do it on its own, but they have that, that, that wow. co-pilot, if you want to call it You that. see that coming. I don't get on an airplane and have no pilot there, have a computer. Welcome aboard. Yeah. Put your seatbelts on. So, so, I mean, this discussion is futuristic, but it's, it's in line with what developed uh, in 1903. <laughs> I mean, this is where it's been going. So I'm still a guy that likes to drive a car with a stick shift. You know, I, I've embraced the automatic, but holy cow, you're really, you're moving us in a, in, in a realm that uh, is like Buck Rogers. <laughs> God, it's crazy stuff. Now here, okay, I'm gonna ask this question and it may sound really stupid, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. When you fly like a, a regular kind of a, a small, like a Piper plane. And are there actually radios, on, like like radios, like you turn in your car? Are those able to be on or is it all kind of just aviation kind of radio stuff? Well, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> Back in the day, we used to navigate with uh, ADF, Automatic Direction Finders, and we okay. actually used to have AM radios because oh. we would steer 
by that radio signal. No kidding. And then that was one way of navigation. But with the onset of GPS navigation, ADF is, is pretty much out the window now. Okay. And, and there isn't anything unless it's been installed for that purpose. But no, it, there's not AF or AM, FM radios or anything Satellite else. Satellite radio? Uh, well, again, for the cabin, maybe, maybe not up in the cockpit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So realistic. Okay. So I guess my next question is, how do these pilots fly? Like, let's say you go from Porter County Airport to Los Angeles. How do you keep yourself awake if there's, I mean, what do you do? You just, you just talk to other air control towers or dedication? dedication. <laughs> no, it, I mean, even, even with a two pilot operation, single pilot operation, there's a lot to keep you busy. Oh, okay. From the point of navigation to, you know, uh, airspeed control, altitude control, if you're flying visual flight rules, VFR, or instrument flight rules, IFR. IFR is when you fly, when you have reduced visibility. Okay, like you can't cloud, see. clouds and stuff, yeah. Right, so you're mm -hmm. in the clouds and you're, you're flying by reference to instruments. But there there is plenty to keep you busy as a single pilot, but even as a, uh, a flight crew, a, a pilot and a co-pilot, uh, both of them have dedicated jobs and they will switch off Oh, so, okay. You know, that, that's one of the attributes of the, the airliners that the first officer can fly the airplane, hand fly it if he has to, or monitor it while it's on autopilot. Okay. So one can relax and the other one can work. Wow. But there's there's a lot to keep you busy. And, and, you know, not only are you flying the actual aircraft, but you're in that preparation. If something goes wrong, how you're going to react. And when you're okay. in a multi-engine airplane, you have redundant systems. So, you know, you're able to have a better chance of keeping that aircraft in the air and landing safely and under control at, a, at an airport. Single engine airplanes, you have to somewhat limit yourself as to, you know, when you're flying and the weather you're flying because if you lose your engine, you yeah. become a glider. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't uh. be afraid of that because if you glide the aircraft down to the ground yeah. and don't hit anything, you will walk away. So are most planes designed for to become a glider if the engines uh, fail? They, we, we train, a lot of what we do as pilots is we train emergency procedures. When you're a single engine pilot working on that private license, one of the things you will do over and over again is your instructor will pull the power and make you make a field and teach you how to make that powered aircraft a glider and be able to land successfully. Oh wow. In multi-engine airplanes, you know, usually you get to fly it on two engines for about the first hour and a half. And okay. from that point on, every flight's an emergency. You're you're flying it on one engine, you're learning how to control it and, and do everything necessary, whether you're flying VFR or IFR. Okay. So that's all that flight training that comes into that. But you so if you have two engines on a plane, usually only one would fail. So that's how you practice it versus a single engine, it becomes a glider. For the most part. Okay. Yes. So, all right, now that being said, have you ever had a, an emergency landing at the airport where something was like, okay, this is pretty heady, let's, uh, let's focus in here, let's get the, the flight or the, um, the fire crews ready or? Yeah, um, you know, airports are like road intersections. Um, when you're approaching an airport, you're modifying the speed of the aircraft, you're changing the configura configuration of the aircraft, putting flaps down, putting gear down, you're getting closer to the ground. So you're losing uh, options. Mm -hmm. So usually if something goes wrong, okay, whatever it is, uh, often you'll have a crash occur 
on the airport just because okay. of that changing um, operational configuration of the airplane. Now, with that said, you know most airports, most general aviation airports, don't have on-site uh, fire rescue. And oh, in okay. the airport realm, we call that ARF, Airport okay. Rescue and Firefighting. Uh, but our airport does have an ARF response. Uh, we don't have manned people out there 24-7, but we actually have in our emergency plan uh, the responding agencies that have jurisdictions surrounding the airport, which would be Washington Township being our primary jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and then Valparaiso uh, City and Morgan Township uh, fire departments that um, we actually go to O'Hare. Uh, we do wow. hands-on fire training with uh, the City of Chicago Fire Department that protects and runs the regional training center for our operations at O'Hare International. So we go up there, we actually do live burn training. Um, we do uh, annual classroom training at our MAC. I saw that um, yeah. you, you had the, the MAC here a, a few weeks ago. Right. And uh, we do our classroom and some of our live burn training there. So. Our airport, because of its size, actually does have an ARF capability. It's just not 24-7. Okay. Uh, two of the airport employees, myself and uh, one of our part-time people, are active line firefighters. Oh, wow. And we are ARF qualified, so we actually have people at the airport that we can, can respond to an emergency like that um, and get into a truck that really is allowed the capability because it has the proper agent and allows us to apply that agent at the proper rate. Okay, so now now that being said is, um, oh, and let's get to, we're at 103.1 FM uh, WVLP. Uh, this is Porter County Buzz. Uh, you And also, we, we thank our sponsors, um, the International Independent, I always say international, I don't know why, Independent Order of Odd Fellows, uh, Chequick Lodge, number 56, uh, right in downtown Valpo. We appreciate all their support and everything they do for the community. And uh, you can also catch us on PC Buzz, B-U-Z-Z, 103 at yahoo.com. If you have any questions as to why Andy is not here today, because he's coaching his son's baseball team. And uh, yeah, Andy, we understand. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, and um, we have Kyle Kubler here from the Porter County Regional Airport, and uh, we're, we're just having a conversation about aircraft and the, the airfield and all the wonderful things that, uh, that the airport does for our community. Um, but that being said, let me, let, let's go back to when Air Force Two comes in, do they, because it's a very, very prestigious person on there, do they actually expect our uh, fire team to be ready just in case, In you know, or, I mean, is that... I think it was very unusual for our airport to be selected uh, yeah. for that. Uh, when I talked to the colonel on that initial phone call, I, I did ask, uh, you know, what other airports were being considered. And, yeah. and Gary and South Bend were the other ones. Uh, both of them have uh, ARP operations and actually airport police departments oh, wow. okay. on, on site. So I, I really didn't think we were going <laughs> to get that. I, I think we were just an alternative. But, those were the things that we had to fill. We had Porter County Sheriff Police gotcha. and a number of other uh, jurisdiction police that were associated with the motorcade be able to support that. Um, you know, they may have flown into an airport that didn't have our capabilities. Yeah. But as I recall, when I talked to the colonel and, and the, the aircraft commander that was there that day, very seldom did they fly into, if any, to uncontrolled airports, airports without a control tower. 
But as wow. I said, our report is a, a yeah. little bit different. Yeah. Because of our size, because of the uh, equipment that we have flying in and out, um, we've been able to take and, and do things through grant writing and, and even surplus property. One of my our fire trucks at the airport was something that came out of a, a naval air station which was still operational and we were able to enhance what we do from an our capability at a very very low cost that's awesome yeah. right wow so you look out for the taxpayers you you must be a politician uh, always <laughs> but no. <laughs> no that's okay no problem um what uh what other th i mean it's now there's no people might be surprised to hear this there's no restaurant there this there so okay so a pilot comes in he's really hungry what does he do <laughs> when, when we built the terminal building in, in 1997, we actually made some accommodations on our second floor to at least consider the idea of an airport restaurant. And we were advertising in the Indiana Restaurant Tour Association, oh. um, the possibility mm -hmm. of that space. And I think we got like seven interests, six of them were local. Oh, okay. And one was from Southern Indiana for the most part. And, and what we found in that is Valparaiso has a lot of restaurants. Right. And the airports we talk to, you need like a 70% draw that drives in to make that restaurant viable. Wow. So, so it isn't just the fly-in traffic, yeah. it's the drive-in traffic that makes that. And with all the selection that we had in available restaurants in Valparaiso, that never developed, but that's okay because we have that area to be able to uh, build into more corporate flight offices as we oh, okay. hangar more of those corporate aircraft uh, in yeah. the two hangars that we own. Okay, and then uh, you have sports teams that come in too and use the, the airport as well, right? Yes, one of the things that the airport has maintained uh, largely because of Valparaiso University and its athletic teams is a FAA Part 139 certificate. The 139 certificate is one that allows air carrier operations to occur at the airport. Uh, if United Airlines, let's say, was flying in a football team for VU, they're a Part 121 carrier. They require to be supported by a 139 airport. So, you know, we had to develop standards how we're going to maintain the airport, react to snow and ice removal, our oh, wow. emergency plan. And we have all that in place. Why we haven't seen the large air carrier aircraft, um, Valparaiso University through men's and women's basketball, and I even think we've had a, a couple volleyball teams um, and through their conference play do have air carrier type airplanes, but smaller 30 passenger seats or less oh, okay. that do come in. Yeah. I think we supported 15 basketball operations this year. Wow. And, and that's kind of normal for, for us. Um, so yeah, we, we have that sort of support and that we, we do specially just to support Valparaiso University and those teams that fly in. So now ex explain the, okay, so uh, uh, it's the winter time and you, you have a de-icing machines come out. How does, I mean, how does that work? Do, do, does the airplane pay for that? Do we pay for that as a county? Who, you know, who de-ice, yeah, how does that work? Those are fee services that the airport charges for. Okay. We do not charge a landing fee because landing fees are normally assessed at airports where they're trying to control capacity where they're too busy and they want to limit general gotcha. aviation right. what we have always taken up and again with the airport authority providing the terminal services the fuel sales the hangar services all the ramp services we charge 
whether it be those air carriers doing the basketball teams or, or the corporates that use the airport, we charge them fee structures for de-icing, oh, uh, okay. ground power units, you know, lab cart services and things like that. So that's a way that we generate revenue, really charging for necessary services rather okay. than just a landing fee because you landed at, at, gotcha. at the airport. Okay. And that historically has worked well for us. And, and one of the things the airport authority is trying to do is entice the utilization of the airport even more so. Oh, wow. Yep. That's pretty good. Now, the, the, the de-icing, um, what exactly does that do for the aircraft? I was, I was on a, over uh, President's Weekend, I went, to, uh, I, w I went to Puerto Rico and we were at O'Hare and the plane, you know, came off after everyone was, was on board. We drove, it seemed like the other end of the airport, and there was this massive trucks that were de-icing the planes. But, you know, the question is, I'm just sitting there staring at all this mist coming all over the place. What exactly does that do for the airplane? I mean, I mean how, does, how does the ice affect or the lack of ice it just gets the plane off the ground, right? I mean, it helps it get off the ground. Really, or? really, the airfoil is what you're concerned about. The airfoil is designed to flow a certain amount of air to create the lift necessary for that flight, and the control surfaces are additional airfoils that are giving aerodynamic forces oh, on the okay. aircraft to make it turn, mm -hmm. both in bank, yaw, and pitch. So having that airflow be smooth, smooth over those uh, airfoils is very, very important. And so when you have an airplane come out of the clouds, if it's in the clouds and it's in an area of known icing where they're picking up ice, they're actually getting most of the time rime ice along the leading edge, which will deteriorate the, that airflow over the wing. Uh, okay. So it's important if a plane lands with ice before it takes off again, that ice be removed. Um, we also have not only de-icing, but anti-icing. If you put an aircraft into a hangar, it's going to get heat soaked. It's going to become warm. Okay. So when you pull it outside, let's say into a snowstorm, that precipitation will start to melt and then it'll freeze. Uh, so we'll okay. do anti-ice, which is 100% type 1 de-icing fluid at room temperature. Just spray a little bit on that wing so when you have that, uh, that snow start to melt, it goes into solution with that anti-ice and it doesn't freeze. Then de-icing is normally a 50-50 mix of water and de-icing fluid, and you apply that with heat, probably about 180 degrees. That's what all the mist is from that's then, right. huh? So that's going to take that frozen okay. precipitation off that wing and do so in a more efficient time manner. I'll be darned. Yeah, it's kind of just things you never really, you know, I mean, I'm not, who am I going to ask? I'm sitting on a plane looking out a window, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's, that's, a, that's another thing. Through the uh, GSA, they call it the Access Program, we were able to get a boom lift de-icer that has capabilities for both anti-ice and uh, de-icing, and, and all the airport has to pay under that program is the transportation cost to get it from wherever it is to wow, the airport. Wow, that's cool. And, and our one fire truck that we did, it, it cost us a total of $6,000 to get it from Nevada <laughs> to Valparaiso. And this was a, a 2002 unit that was probably $380,000 new wow. that we acquired for $6,000 through the surplus program. I'm not sure if you can move it uh, for that cost today. <laughs> all the expenses that's that's incredible um and, and as i'm looking at my list here the uh 
What else? Uh, a typical day. What's a typical day in the life of the director of the Porter County Airport? I push a lot of paper. <laughs> oh, no. I push a lot of paper, and it, like I say, the the, the GA airport realm. Um, I'm constantly drawn towards many aspects of operation during the day. Our people at the airport, the secret of our success has been that everybody does virtually the same job, they just have differing responsibilities. So, uh, you know, just speaking for myself, largely it's pushing paper, but in the winter, every once in a while, I'll get in a plow truck and I'll relieve the guys to be able to come in for lunch. Oh, okay. And, and when you talk about winter operations, you're looking at a completely different airport. You know, what we have yeah. to do in the summer to what we have to do in the winter in the scrutiny of being able to maintain operations during the winter. Uh, it, it's it's two different functions, it really is. So Cause, winters are hard for us. Because the highway department doesn't come out and help plow the runways. You guys do it all we yourself. We have our own equipment. Self, Self-contained, yes. okay. What about, um, it, it, the runways are all cement, correct? Yeah, they're actually by two minutes blacktop. Oh, okay. So if they need to be repaired, you guys repair that too? Well. We historically do as much as we can ourselves, and what we can't, then we contract. So our airport being number one in the state for based aircraft, number three for operations, we rank very high in what they call the AIP, the Airport Improvement Program Priority System. So when we need rehabs and reconstructions of the primary surfaces, the primary runways and taxiways, we usually compete very well for those dollars. And, and we get that sort of money through that, and, and most of the time, I mean, the, the participations vary sometimes, but most of the time, that's a 90% federal participation, 5% state, and only wow. 5% local. Well, that's pretty so good. That is terrific, terrific for us to be, able to, to be able to do that. But when you get to hangar areas and things like that, that's where it's still AIP eligible, but not very high on the priority system. Okay. So that's when we have to really get more involved in maybe loan contracts or revenue bonds or state 50-50 match program grants to, to continue to build the airport. Okay. And, uh, you know, our airport, you know, we have extensive waiting lists right now to, for more hangars and more T-hangers to be able to support more based aircraft. And, you know, I sit here on a daily basis <laughs> and, and really after being here for 30 years and, and, and be able to say that my greatest challenge is trying to come up with the continued growth of the airport and, yeah. and where we can go for federal help and state help and, and local help for that. Um, you know, where will it end? I mean, yeah. right now, you know, our airport has more airplanes than the reliever airports in Indianapolis. You know, what is it in our demographic? that drives that. Is it our location uh, right. in Chicago? Yeah. Is it just Northwest Indiana is the place to be? I, I know there has to be a ceiling at some point, but where's that ceiling going to be? Because wow. we have constantly, you know, had to really think out of the box and, and, and work with a number of stakeholders to be able to keep up with the pace that of demand that we're seeing at the airport. Now, you don't ever see us uh, becoming like a small commuter airport, do you? During our master plan, we actually invited up an airline from the Indianapolis area, and we asked them that question. Okay. Now, knowing that our, our uh, focus has been on corporate and, and general aviation type operations, we asked that question. 
And the response back we got from the individual was that within a 25 nautical mile radius of the airport, there's probably 750,000 people. That's what it was wow. at that time. Okay. And that if we didn't have the, you know, system in Chicago, which is the state of the art, probably one of the best in the nation, as well as the access of South Bend and even as far south as Indianapolis, okay. that our airport may support uh, airline operations. But because of that premier system in Chicago, because of South Bend's okay. uh, position, and, and even an hour and a half, two hours down to Indianapolis, that you know airlines aren't going to look for that sort of location because they have to put maintenance there, they have to put other support there. And, and that's why our focus has kind of always been on the community needs and, and corporate aviation that flies in and out doing day-to-day -day business in the county. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then, then Gary, does that come into play at all too? With the, uh, like, a, Do you ever find like, a, we don't compete with Gary at all, for any, the Gary Airport for anything, do we? Well, you know, our, our airport because of its runway length, 7,000 foot with the primary runway. Is that longer than Gary has? Well, not or, anymore. Okay. Gary, Gary did its uh, extension here, but very, you know, up until the improvements done from an acreage standpoint, from a runway configuration standpoint, we were very, very closely matched. Wow. They okay. now have the longer runway uh, because of the extension that they just completed here in recent years. Uh, but when you consider our 7,000 foot runway, and again, a system longer than what you operate on and off of at Midway, mm -hmm. um, you start to see a true regional use of the airport because we have fine other general aviation airports that surround us in other counties, but they may not have that 7,000 foot environment. So we actually see a true regional use of our airport, not only for what Porter County needs, but maybe some of those surrounding counties. Okay. And then what they call the asset study that the FAA did, our airport is an airport of regional significance, and Gary is identified, and I, I don't know if it's the exact terminology, but it's uh, an airport, a regional airport of national significance because of their closer proximity oh, okay. to Chicago. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Now, what about helicopters? Do we bring in a lot of helicopters at all, or is that a... We actually have one of our charter operators on the field does fixed wing in a, a twin-engine Baron. So okay. they, they do that sort of transportation from our airport. Uh, and then one of our charter operators is a helicopter operator. And mm -hmm. it, that's really for... They're doing a lot of business in executive transportation and, and movie platform where they actually... Oh, like cameras and stuff? cameras for movies, yes. Wow. Now, what about island hoppers? I hear they're looking for a... Uh, they're expanding from Hawaii and they want to come out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 probably, they probably pick the airport a little bit closer to the West Coast. And maybe the West Coast. I had to throw that in. You know, I don't know. I, I, I must have seen a, a Magnum episode a couple days ago. <laughs> But uh, and I, and I was, is it true that helicopters are really hard to learn how to fly? You or? Know, I think pilots get their pride and they say that, um, but really learning what you need to know about aviation and, and just from a cost of, of flight training, most of your helicopter pilots probably start as fixed wing pilots. Oh, okay. And then they'll, they'll transition in. And I, I've heard that said. And I had a good friend of mine who was an instructor one day let me 
go with him in a helicopter, which was oh. the first time I was ever in a helicopter. And he was very, very polite. He was quite the gentleman. <laughs> there's, there's three controls in the helicopters. There's the pedals, okay. there's the cyclic, and there's the collective. Okay. And the pedals are the tail rotor, and they control the yaw of the helicopter. And the cyclic controls the main rotor, and it, it really controls the pitch of that, whether you're pitching forward, pitching back, pitching left. Yeah. And then collective is your lift. Okay. Okay, so as a gentleman, <laughs> he got into hover for me, and he goes, okay, take the pedals. And I took the pedals, and I held it in perfect spot. And he said, well, that's pretty good. You feel good? And I said, yep. He goes, all right, give me those back. He goes, okay, take the collective. So I took the collective, which is that, that pitch control. Yeah. And really, if you're hovering, you're not moving it. So okay. now I'm holding that and, and everything's really And hoping you have a spasm in your arm. Yeah. You feel good about that? And I said, yeah. So he took that one back. Then he gave me the, the troublesome one, okay. cyclic. And the cyclic, you, you, got the, you have to be very light on the controls, and you almost have to treat it like you're on a pendulum. Okay. If, if I could describe it anyway, you want to make sure you keep that string straight. Yeah. And after maybe five minutes, I could do that. He goes, you're feeling good? And I said, yeah, I'm feeling good. He goes, oh, give me that back. So then he gave me the pedals. Wait, there's more. Yeah. And then he gave me the collective. Okay. And then he gave me the cyclic. And I am hovering. I am over one spot. And then he said, you're feeling good, right? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, give me a pedal turn to the left. And I was into the wind at this time. And he didn't teach me any of this part. Okay. We started that pedal turn. That helicopter just rotated around and said, Kyle, this isn't hovering, this is flying. <laughs> so. And the whole time, did, was he, if something like, if you, you got a little nervous and things went a little bit awry, was he able to take the controls back pretty quick? He, he didn't have to because he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> He, he was, was going to get my attention during the pedal turn. Yeah. So he schooled you a little he bit. He schooled me a little bit, but good friend, and, and I appreciated that time. Oh my gosh! Well, that's crazy. That's that's awesome. I mean, it. Now, do we have a uh, a helicopter flight school at the at the airport? That we don't. Uh, the closest that I'm aware of is Goshen, Indiana. Okay. Uh, but uh, you know, there is uh, there is a market for flight training. Wow. Um, and you know the military is a, a great avenue for that because a lot of what the army does is flight and helicopters. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, hate to say, but we're just about out of time. And yeah, he's literally going. Are you kidding? Uh, this is uh, WVLP 103.1 FM, uh, Porter County Buzz. Uh, we were here Tuesdays uh, six to to seven o'clock, and then we're rebroadcast uh, Saturdays at eight o'clock at night. And uh, uh, we're also on Facebook. And we have uh, PCBuzz103 at Yahoo.com. So uh, we look forward to. Uh, you guys continually uh, supporting us. We thank the Odd Fellows of Checkwick Lodge 56 in Valparaiso, Indiana. And uh, yeah, we just appreciate it. But Kyle, thanks a lot for all your input, insights, and humor because you were that was very good. And uh, we appreciate you coming by. It's been great to be part of the buzz. All right. <laughs> With that, we'll see you later. Thanks. Bye.